0: So I'm going to say the usual thing I say at the beginning of all of these podcasts. I just had a really fascinating conversation with Cory McComb. He's the author of Productivity is for Robots. I've just... Sorry, Corey. I didn't manage to get all the way through the book. I think I read about three quarters of it. So far, the book's fascinating. It's a really cool, short read. And what I really, about, really like about it, particularly because it's a non-fiction book is it's not talking about the usual stuff that we're reading about now. This is talking about how productivity um, doesn't necessarily ruin you, but we should try to be less productive. We should think about play more. We should slow down a little bit. We should maybe make time to be a little bit idle. These are all things I've been thinking about a lot lately. So this episode came at the bang on right time for me so this is my hour-long chat with Corey McComb. We get into productivity, how he wrote the book, um, how he came about to write in this book, you know, why was he obsessed with productivity. We talk a little bit about self-improvement books and why it can be a bit of a bad thing to get obsessed by them. So if you're kind of in that space right now where you're thinking about self-improvement or maybe you're wondering what's out the other side of being obsessed with self-improvement books, this is the episode for you. Cue the music. And we are live, not on Twitter, only on YouTube, Kari. Sorry.
1: All right. All right. No worries. Good to see you, Craig.
0: Yeah, you too. How's how's things? What's going on?
1: Everything is good. It's it's always strange because before I I do these, I'll try and obviously listen to some episodes or watch some episodes depending on the format and you know, I was just watching you on my screen, interviewing someone else just a little while ago. And now I'm looking at, it's like you're in the exact same spot, <laughs> looking, the, looking the same, but now you're talking to me. So it's kind of a strange, it's a strange phenomenon, you know?
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm consistent. I never move out of this chair. This is just yeah. where, <laughs> where, where, was, yeah. I just sit here yeah. constantly. I,
1: I feel like I'm in, in studio with you though. It's, it's great. <laughs> Entering into the, uh, the, the Craig Zeitgeist
0: oh god yeah you, you don't want to say that yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what so what's been going on what what you're working on at the minute what's exciting you
1: um you know lately i've been i've been feeling a little uh what, what's a good word I'll, I'll say languished a little a little dormant Ooh. you know yeah. i've been um diving into a new creative project over the last since january 1st actually i started a new book and I've realized how easy it is for me to go so deep into a creative project where it's all that I think about and let all my other responsibilities just kind of fall to the wayside. Yeah. And then I'll put my head up a few months later and just realize that I've really need to peel back and, and, and get that balance back again. Um, and, I, and I say languished just because it's kind of this, this creative high where I'm not really, I can't really tell how much I'm progressing. I just know that I'm writing every day and it feels good, but I don't feel like I'm um, owning the day or really leveling up or, or getting things done in all the areas of my life. It's kind of like like a like a big Lebowski type of vibe. <laughs> so, are you the dude? Are you I, the dude now? Then I'm the dude. Yes, yeah, so I'm trying to break a little out of that and get back into put, put my foot on the gas with some other interest that I have. Um and you know, you just wrote a book. Congratulations. And you. you probably know how easy it is to to fall into that creative pattern. And while it's very important, there are other things you want to do, you want to stay consistent on. So that, that's something that I struggle with.
0: Well I get I get that sense throughout your fantastic book, Productivity is for Robots, which is available now. Um, I get that sense in the book that there's kind of these two competing things, and I relate a lot to this because I'm very much like this too. You've got kind of this desire to be productive, whatever that means, but that word somehow catches you somewhere. Desire to be doing things or whatever. My website is called Get Doing Things. This podcast is called Get Doing Things. So there's a desire to be productive, but there's also a desire to make like meaningful creative work, and those two don't always cross paths. Do they? and yeah. I guess yeah. that's where the whole idea from the book came from, isn't it?
1: Yeah, a little bit. That was well said. You know, the, the the book really stemmed from me holding on to the reins of life too tightly and really trying to be productive for the sake of being productive. Really going the other side of the aisle where where I was just, no matter what I did or didn't do, I was just driven by this insidious feeling that I was never doing enough. You know, I was working at a top marketing agency. I was planning a wedding. I was trying to write a book and um, grow an audience. And, you know, it was very easy for me, you know, with the entrepreneurial spirit that I have to kind of fall into the whole hustle and grind culture, You know, it's like the productivity dogma that tells you that everyone is doing more than you and you need to just be doing things for the sake of doing them, basically. Get doing things to be doing them, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think that there's a lot of beauty in that because part of the community and seeing other people succeed really shows you how much potential there is out there. And I think that for a lot of people at the beginning of their journey, they really do need to push themselves and to start writing out goals and start chasing things down and take things, you know, hold on a little bit tighter so you can make things happen. Um, But I got to the point where I I was just burnt out and I had lost sight of the things that I was doing, the reasons I was doing them and why. And, you know, along the way I let productivity become the goal and not the vehicle, so to speak. So that's kind of where, where, where the book stemmed from just trying to, get to the point where i could wake up again and you know not wish the day was already over what, um, what made you in terms of stress
0: what made you realize it what made you say right Corey, you're burned out what what was the was there like a catalyst point or was it loads of little things that built up or how did that look
1: it, it was a lot of little things that built up and then the big catalyst was just you know constantly waking up with waves of stress um yeah. you know Feeling as if whenever I wasn't writing or working, if I was hanging out with friends, there would be like this little gnawing guilt inside that I, that I shouldn't be being more productive. Mm -hmm. So I just got, let it get out of hand. And, you know, my, my, my wife, um, who's my fiance at the time could feel it. She, she could tell that I was always kind of thinking about something else or drifting off, not present and stressed. And, you know, I would fall asleep, just kind of haunted by my to-do list. (laughs) <laughs> and then I'd wake up and was never really able to um, ever step into that type of flow. It was always rushed and hurried. And, um, you know, I was doing too much. And a lot of people told me that I could fix things with systems and better productivity tools. And I tried that for a long time. But I think that what the real eye opening part was for me was that I had just. You know, I'd lost sight of the things I was doing, why I was doing the things that I was doing, and it didn't matter what systems or how much stuff I got done. I I was continually driven by this gnawing sense that I I needed to do more that I wasn't doing enough. Yeah. Uh, And that sent me on this journey to really start to start to question, you know, where does this hunger and desire to be productive really come from? Um, why why do we have it? Because as I looked around and talked to other entrepreneurs and people that I knew, you know, I wasn't alone. There is this vision that I had of us trading in our humanity and taking a step closer to technology and competing with robots. And what really lit the light bulb for me was realizing that humans are not meant to be these Uber efficient machines, you know. Mm. Love isn't efficient, you know, creativity isn't efficient. And, um, as Kevin Kelly says, is one of the quotes that opens up the book is that, um, you know, productivity is for robots. Yeah. And and that's what really made me think about human nature and how, how can I lean into what makes me human? Some of the things that might look like weaknesses when it comes to productivity or efficiency, how can I take those human traits and actually lean into them to get the most out of life, how to find meaning? tap into creativity and flow
0: have you always been quite obsessed with self-improvement books like me do you think that's maybe where some of it started because for me that's where it started I I always read self-improvement books from bloody 17 years old or something like that yeah and, and there's just a like you said there's a dogma in them isn't there mm-hmm
1: Yeah. I started reading self-improvement books a little bit later. I was really into, you know, like punk rock and skateboarding and playing music and being creative when I was young. And then it was around, yeah, around like probably like 20 years old that I started, you know, like I read the four hour work week and I started uh, reading uh, personal development books and I, I love the genre. I mean, the genres of, personal development has given a lot to my life, but absolutely. I think that there comes a point where if you're just constantly trying to level up just for the sake of leveling up, or just always trying to strive for that next area of growth, because you feel like if you're not growing, you're dying. I think it can start to be kind of dangerous. And then in the sense that it can really burn you out and leave you feeling aimless. If you haven't taken a step back and really discovered what it is you're trying to do. Um, I
0: think what, what happened with me was, I was reading all these books, and when I say seventeen, yeah, that is like unusually young. But it, it was just I was just doing them as a hobby. I wasn't trying to improve. I would just become fascinated by the genre, and I I don't know why. I'd always been curious, and then as soon as I, God, what first book was it that I read? It might have been Stephen Covey, Seven Seven Habits. Yeah, that yeah. might have been the first one. And I was like, oh my God, this is. This is just a side of the world I never even knew existed, you know. So then I, I go from there, and then you kind of hop around the books, don't you? You you start yeah. Googling some of them, and, right, if I've read this, what should I read next? And then sometimes there's suggestions in the books. And then before you know it, you've, you've read a whole load of books, maybe 20 or so or something like that. But what I found that I was doing with them is that I'd read um, – there's one called uh, The Miracle Morning by um, – Harl Elrod, or something like that it's called. I can't, remember. Right. I can't remember the author's name, but I think that's it. And I'd read the book like The Miracle Morning and you always get like this really nice dopamine hit from reading them because you feel like you, something new has been opened up to you, don't you? You're like, oh my God, I need to implement this in my life to become more productive or, or better or grow more or whatever it means. So I found myself reading a book and then implementing the things that I found in the book and then doing the same process over and over and over and you kind of don't really get anywhere you feel like you're getting somewhere but all you're really doing is jumping from philosophy to philosophy of somebody else's life how they lived Mm -hmm. or or what worked for them that's kind of what happened with me does that relate to you did did you kind of find yourself doing that kind of thing
1: yeah, definitely. And I, and I think that there are some books that they find you at the right time and they do show you another way of, of another way to, to live that you weren't aware of, you know, like you said, when I found personal development, no one in my life had really been talking about that kind of stuff. So like when I started yeah. listening, you know, to like the Tim Ferriss podcast, when it first came out, yeah. I was like, I was like, oh my God, like, no, I'm just like a fly on the wall in these conversations with these people talking about these things that I'd never really heard before. And it did send me on that path to, to strive. I think that there's a, I think there's a good thing when it comes to striving for, striving for more, like taking tips from other people, like, Hey, maybe you should wake up early and set, write down some goals. Um, but it does become, you know, it's like, you can kind of go back and read the classics and get, you know, like the fundamentals down. And then it does start to be a little bit of this like mental masturbation where you're just constantly reading new books and jumping around and like regurgitating the same old thing for that dopamine hit. And, um, it it feels like that's that's okay too, but sorry, go on. That's okay too. You know, it's like, I always say like self-help books, whether I read them or not, sometimes just having them makes me feel better. <laughs> it's just like, you know, you can like read, read the title or be reminded like, all right, like you gotta, you gotta do that. You gotta like follow those habits. And, um, they are good. To, they are good to come back to, but, but, I totally know what you mean where eventually you have to take a step back and really, Dig into your own, like, what do you want and get yes. really clear with yourself on, like, what works for you and, um, and not just trying to, to, to chase the the shiny personal development crystal ball, right?
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I feel exactly the same way. I, I spoke to a few people about it on the podcast, particularly, um, Eddie Kwan, War of War on Weakness on Twitter. We got into this whole self development thing because this, um, There's a particular side of Twitter that talks a lot about self development and what books you should read and all that kind of thing, and it's almost a caricature of of being in self development. That kind of side of Twitter,
1: yeah, Um, and that's where a lot of inspiration from the book came from. You know, (laughs) this like optimization for the sake of optimization, just that constant need where you feel like I just need to shave off, like a few seconds here. If I could just squeeze out a little bit more focus, if I could r- listen to this book on 2.5 X instead of normal speed, then I can like, <laughs> kind of get ahead. And it's like, where's the time to just savor and where's the time to just be idle and really allow yep. the human brain and the human spirit and creativity to kind of take over because you're not going to have your best ideas when you're constantly in, um, you know, like, locked and loaded focus and you're just going from task to task right through your calendar every day. Like the mind and the spirit does need some idle time to just be human and sit back and let the world happen to you so that you can respond and, um, and find that meaning.
0: I, I completely agree. It, it took me a long time to realize that. And then there was this kind of this year where I went all in on Twitter and I started making loads of stuff. I'm constantly making things. And it it looks like I'm doing a lot of things on the outside. And it looks like I'm too busy. And it looks like I'm quote unquote hustling and all that kind of thing. But the truth is, the reason I've been so productive and the reason I'm doing it all is because I enjoy it and I'm just doing it. I'm just yeah. I'm, I'm just turning my creativity to lots of different things. You know, this kind of this podcast, this conversation we're having right now, this is not an effort. We're having a chat. Yeah. That, that's all it's about. And I think I think you mentioned this somewhere in the book as well about um, this idea of a, aligning productivity with purpose or something like that, I think you say. Yeah. Uh, um, that point really hit me quite hard because that, that's kind of a thing that I've been thinking about but not been able to articulate that you can be productive, but when it's without purpose, it, it just leads to burnout. But as soon as you've found the thing that you want to do, like I'm talking about now, I mean, the sky's the limit, isn't it? And it doesn't feel like work.
1: Yeah. And when I look at you on Twitter and all the things you're doing, I can tell you're having fun, you know, and and it, and it comes through and, you know, the book, it's got an incendiary title, you know, productivity is for robots, but it's not an anti-productivity book at all. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's not about not working too hard or doing too much. I will say it's, it's a call against holding on too tightly And forgetting to be playful and forgetting to lean into the human nature and keep that meaning in mind. And as long as you're doing that and you have that purpose, you know, the line in the book is, you know, productivity without purpose is an arrow without a target. Mm. And that's where you can just end up feeling like you're flying through the air um, aimlessly and spread thin by Options and FOMO and 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 all of that, you know. However, it manifests itself is different for everybody. Um, but once you find that meaning, and it's like every all the layers of life um, get more colorful, right? You know, it's yeah. like when I started writing. You know, I worked for a long time in like nine to five offices where I wasn't writing, and I was reading personal development books and just trying to like get ahead, kind kind of aimlessly. And, you know, I think I heard you say something along the lines of this in one of your other podcasts where it's like, you know, you can't be an interesting person until you're actually interested in something. You know, like, until you tap into your own curiosity, no one's going to really be that curious about the stuff you're doing. So I was a very coloring inside the lines, clocking out a life kind of person. But then once I started writing and I put pen to paper and I really started exploring my own um, curiosity that's when the world started to get really interesting to me. And all of a sudden I had all these new things I was interested in, all these new things that I was chasing and that spark of life kind of came back. And that's why I think that creativity, whether you're doing it on a podcast or just growing a Twitter audience, if you're just really in touch with your own creative mind and then able to put that and make that transition from your imagination into the world that's where like the real rewards of being productive and creative really come from.
0: I agree. I think there's a, people can tell, can't they? There's just like a, an intangible to whether you're writing a tweet or writing a book, speaking on a podcast or making a video or whatever it is, somebody can tell when you're not enjoying it. Uh, And and they may not even, they might not even realize it, but that kind of thing that you make, half arse that you're not really interested in doesn't get the likes or just doesn't feel right when you look back at it over time. Yeah. I think you you're completely right with it, but what's the hard bits in the middle, isn't it? The hard bits balancing productivity, quote unquote, and having the play time and trying to connect the two. You you kind of mentioned it a little bit at the beginning of this where you were talking about taking longer with things and uh you, you know taking your time and things like that and the the issue with a lot of this is and i think a, a lot of the problem with this is social media and and to some larger extent the web it's a fascinating place it's incredibly useful in the right hands but everything now particularly algorithms are focused on brevity and polarizing opinions and not looking at something for yourself and and not, you know, things like this podcast never do well on YouTube because they don't want long videos to be indexed because people aren't interested because people don't watch them, basically. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. same same with a long article, for example. Somebody wouldn't read it, so they don't go up in the algorithms and, and Twitter and Facebook don't want you off their platform, so they won't promote articles and all that kind of thing. I think that the, there's, there's kind of the... You want to be long-form, and you want to provide nuance to people and, and take some time, but everything is against you, isn't it?
1: It is. Well, consistency, you know, to be consistent, you have to show up every day, right? And that kind of puts you on the tr- on the treadmill a little bit um, or the hamster wheel just by the very nature. And it's the, it's the law of the internet, you know. It's like one of my least favorite laws that I'm not very good at showing up it's something that I want to work on because mm. the power of growing an audience on Twitter and this is like a totally different topic is like I've watched you and a, you know a handful of other people this last year just grow so fast what, what looks like to me you know on Twitter and, and finding their voice and engaging with people and I see the beauty of it um, but it is something I struggle with and I think a lot of people do is like being able to show up consistently and maybe tweet for the sake of tweeting and just to Mm. build that muscle up. Um, And, you know, going back to the lessons in the book, it's something I still struggle with. Like I still feel guilty when I'm not doing, you know, Mm. like when I'm locked and loaded on a long article or or another book where I feel like I just want to lock myself away and just be creative. Um, But I still have that a little bit of that like guilt. It's like, well, you should really be, posting some of this or building in public or writing in public yeah. or sending out that newsletter like you're supposed to. Um, so it is that middle part, Craig, it's, it's the balance that that is something that um, I think is part of being human.
0: Yeah. You know? I, I think it, it works best. I think when, when we're on social, when we're trying to promote a book or whatever, I think it works best when you yourself. And I I, I think yeah. that that's the hardest thing to roll back on, and be yourself on these kind of platforms because, you know, I I write absolute nonsense on Twitter. And when I I first started doing Twitter a year ago, I wouldn't have dared write things like that. But then I think, well, why wouldn't I dare write things like that? I don't have a boss. I work for myself. It doesn't matter, really. You know, I wasn't ever going to be offensive or say something stupid or things like that, but I, I kind of held back parts of my personality for some reason. And I think it—that's yeah. uh, one of the, the the biggest things I see people struggling with. And I think whilst you're always trying to hold back, I don't necessarily think it's is the consistency piece. Particularly, that wasn't the thing that I struggled with for the longest time. It was just that I was I was holding back a little bit, and as soon as I went right, I don't care. I've got no shame. I'm just gonna be me and all that kind of. Lovely things turning into a butterfly and all those kind of <laughs> metaphors. It became, How did you do that?
1: What 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 helped you do that? Did-
0: it it was it was through frustration. Um, I I was so I was consistent. I was deathly consistent day after day after day. I was writing ten tweets every day, and I, I do think there's value in being consistent and being bored by the process. I think that, that there's there's other value to that because me being bored by the process led me to realize that I don't just want to sit here writing boring fucking tweets every single day. I want to actually have some fun with this. So that led yeah. me to kind of just throw the rules out the window and just be like, yeah, I don't care. I'm going to stop looking at the analytics. I'm going to stop treating this like a robotic exercise, like a lot of your book talks about. And I was just going to, I was just going to just do me just, just, just write basically just write anything just write nonsense and as soon as i started doing that people started connecting with me and actually dming me and talking to me and having chats with me and things like that and even now i I still go through periods with with twitter where i'll still be writing the tweets but i won't be present there so things go down a little bit um but but still it's steady forward progress even when i'm not that present because I'm I'm still writing something every day. I mean the thing I'm interested in at the minute is making memes, memes about Twitter or memes about creating things or stuff like that. Just like utter nonsense, but I just I like playing with it. I like seeing where where it can go because it, it, it isn't it isn't a job for me. You know, I I I'm a designer, I run a design agency. This is all fun stuff on the side. And even yeah. if it was the other flip flipped way around i still think you've got to take that attitude to actually be interesting and be noticed that uh, like you mentioned you need to be interesting so you, you can't just be another person who's writing perfect tweets I, d- I don't think it cuts it anymore
1: yeah i think you're right i think you're right and um it, it comes through what what you're doing and it's something that's you know i did ship 30 for 30 i know that you i think we did it the same the same time together yes. and I I loved it. You know, I did find myself kind of writing just for the sake of writing at times and just like, wasn't, wasn't really in love with everything that I was publishing, but the commitment to just show up every day and kind of say, you know, screw it. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to have fun and just be myself. Like I wrote some silly little short stories and things Mm -hmm. like that. Just, you know, I didn't, I didn't miss a day of shipping. Um, and it was, it was, you know, what I found, what really surprised me was because, you know, I already had a daily writing habit. So I had a little bit of a leg up on a lot of people that were just starting out. Like I've been writing and publishing online for, for years. I've, you know, I've written a book. I already have that, that habit down, but I didn't have the habit of posting and putting myself out there consistently and interacting with people on Twitter. And for that month, I couldn't believe like the relationships and, and it really felt like I was showing up And people were looking to me to be a leader and they were interested in what I had to say. And that sparked something in me that, um, that really showed me like the other side of, you know, there's locking yourself away for a long project and closing the doors and the windows and saying, I'm just going to be a creative in a cave. And then eventually I'll emerge with this masterpiece. And hopefully someone is there to listen. that's kind of what I did (laughs) with this book, even though that's probably not the best thing to do. Um, But the beautiful part about the web and and Twitter or wherever you're sharing your, your art is that it's, it's nice when you can do something and then get some immediate feedback. Some of that, that, that uh, whether it's feedback, that's like good or bad or that's going to direct you, at least it's something. It's like, it's still that human connection where you turn something into nothing and now there's a response from the outside world coming back at you. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's a a beautiful way to just kind of make your world, um, make our world bigger.
0: I think there's beauty in both ways, isn't there? Cause I sometimes, I sometimes think when I'm reading a book or whatever, I've just been reading, um, oh damn, I forgot his name. Is it? He's a French guy and he spent his entire life writing aphorisms and it's from the 1600s or something like that. It's one of the most famous books, um, of aphorisms. Uh, and they've always got a bio at the front of the book when they're that kind of that old, haven't they? Because nobody knows who they are. So you, I, I always find the bios fascinating, particularly authors from like the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. And and his whole life he just he just wrote this book. That that, that was it. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, did, he did not he did nothing else. He just wrote this book. And and I think there's a beauty in that of 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 being so single-minded and, and he worked on different editions of it as well, you know, revised it and things like that over the years and then it eventually became this most popular book of aphorisms. But then equally, I think there's beauty in the other side as well. Like, like you mentioned, like shipping regularly, ideally daily. Well, that's what works for me. Um, being out in public and I, I think you've just got to find the thing that works well for you. I think so, some some people don't do well with that kind of I guess pressure of of being public all the time there's an element of that where you know I put these kind of podcasts out all the time and these video type things I'm always public I'm always out there there's a pressure with that and I think some people like to retract from that sometimes and and that's often thought of as kind of being the classic creative type the kind of person who goes in a hut somewhere in, in the mountains and goes away and writes a book, but I just think it's kind of finding the way that works for you. Really, I think if you can find the the kind of magical point, and I think that's where if your process, if you can be public with your process and that process is also interesting, you've kind of got like I hate to use the term content like this because I do think some of it's a bit vacuous, but you Mm -hmm. you've kind of got content about the process and you've got content the actual thing that you produce out the other end. Mm-hmm. uh yeah
1: it, it, that backseat that backstage pass type of content where yeah. were the behind the scenes rather
0: well i think we we tend to romanticize the other kind of process as well don't we particularly in books when you think about authors and things like that we tend to romanticize the idea of somebody who who wrote the book um who never did anything else in his life or you look at somebody like nietzsche and he wasn't even famous in his lifetime and and then you romanticize that kind of thing don't you, you think that somehow mm-hmm. that's that's a true artist for some reason yeah,
1: yeah it is it, and you know it's um a lot of the inability or hesitation i think i can speak at least for myself of really showing up consistently and and you know we'll just call it like owning the work is imposter syndrome you know, there's part of me that thinks like who wants to hear what I have to say or who am I to just get on and just start spouting off these wor- words of wisdom or, or things <laughs> like that. And, um, you know, that's what helped me write this book. And the reason that I spent a lot of extra time on it and I wanted to make it as good as I could is because I didn't really want the book to be like an extent. I didn't want it to be like, um hey look at me this this is my book and then like fall in love with me and be part of my audience like i really wanted to make something that was going to live outside of myself and that it could have its own life of its own and i knew that for me to make that happen for the book for me to actually give it the push cuz i cuz i published it myself you know i don't have like a marketing team or a publisher or anything like that when i finished writing the book i was so proud of it and i was able to be honest with myself and say, if I want to give this book a chance to like have a life of its own, like I need to show up and actually own the work. Like I need to shout it from the mountaintops, do podcasts and really plant my flag and like get the, get the art and the content out there. Um, and, and where I failed in the past, what I succeeded here is that I had so much pride in the work. Whereas I think that if I had pushed out an early version of the book that I wasn't as proud of, it would have been a lot harder for me to get on Twitter or do 30 for 30 and even go on podcasts and talk about the work. So oh, yeah. for me, it was just that balance of taking that time to like lock my away and like do the best book that I could. And now I'm in this separate season, this new season of, of, you know, promotion or, or marketing, you can say, yeah. And, uh, it's been a great journey of just, and, and this is something that I've learned from watching people on Twitter with like the build or right in public movements. It's like, oh, like marketing can be an extension of the art itself, you know, like how you show up and how you talk about things and how you, um, express your journey of the thing that you made is actually part of the art. And people are really interested in that. So that's been really eye-opening for me, and something that I want to keep exploring. Um, just learning how to do it.
0: Yeah, I mean that—that's pretty much half of the stuff I talk about on Twitter is actually about Twitter. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's like this <laughs> this weird self-referential thing. That, uh so meta. Yeah, I I, I don't yeah. know if you're familiar with um, a Substack guy called Thomas Bevan, but he absolutely hates it. Um, I, I'm part of his community, and this is this is something that he hates about content that's about content and that kind of thing and he's a little bit old school and he, he you know yeah I, I, I won't shit on him too much when he can't defend himself but um you're right I think it is it is a is a powerful way of making stuff about stuff because uh-huh. you it's probably one of the most powerful ways because it actually helps somebody while still being quite genuine and you're not putting yourself on a pedestal either you're not making yourself out to be a guru or anything like that all you're doing is say well this is what worked for me or this is not what worked for me both stories are interesting and you don't need to feel like you um you're trying to make yourself better than somebody you're just saying the things that have worked for you and just like the, your book as well that's the kind of thing that you're in your book it, it's not it's not preaching, is it? It's, it's not a guru project.
1: Right, right. And, you know, I think it all comes back to the intention that you have when you start making something. You know, it's like I, if, if you write a book or you make a podcast and your intention is to help people and you put all your time and effort into it, then when it comes time to, prom- to promote or to show up, then you are – what you're doing isn't trying to be self-promotional. It's being in service to the work. It's like, okay, I made this thing because I think it's going to help people. Now it's my responsibility to get those people to the work, right? Or it's not going to help anybody. So just like thinking about it as the extension and um, being in service to the work is something that all writers or creatives have to do um, Mm. no matter what time period they live in.
0: Um, Something that surprised me a lot about your book is... The beautiful sentences and metaphors and almost poetic type phrases that you've got in there what what thank you what what's some of your reading you're obviously reading something that you know that's really nice and and this kind of thing what's some of your influences for that kind of thing
1: yeah. So my influences are kind of all over the place. I do read a lot of fiction. I love short stories, um, you know, Raymond, Raymond Carver, Tobias Wolfe, um, Hemingway, of course. Um, and I think that fiction writers, you know, the books that really stand the test of time, you know, Dennis Johnson, Jesus' son it's beautiful. Um, and I really love language. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, of the craft of writing. So I've been a student of the craft for a long time. And, you know, nonfiction has just always been the arena that I've started in. You know, I, I was, I, I tried being a travel writer for a while. I've done business blogs. I've done uh, music, music blogs, been like a music journalist. So I played in a lot of different formats. And the things that I love are, you know, uh, you know, stories stories and narratives and the way that words can kind of paint a picture or you know I'm, I'm interested in the things that aren't explicit in writing but if you can like point out a phrase or say something in a way that is really going to trigger something in the reader that's going to help them make their own conclusion you know it's productivities for robots isn't a it I don't want it to be a prescription for life, so to speak. It's more of an invitation to think and a way for me to try and get you to kind of uncover some truths that you've already known all along. but something that's like deep inside you. And I think that when you use language in a, in a way that can kind of lull the reader a little bit to like get them to relax and open up their mind and imagination that they might discover something on their, on their own that you didn't even have in mind when you wrote it. So I think nonfiction can be sometimes a little stuffy and strict and like, yeah. this sentence means this, and this is the only thing yeah. you can take away from it. Yeah. Whereas, um, I mean, my favorite writers, they live a little bit of an, an, uh, ambiguity and invitation to think so. That's always what I, what I try and lead with.
0: I there's a, there's a, there's kind of a, there's a beauty in that. It's something I like in design. Whenever I'm doing my little doodles every day, I always try and leave something to be, to be discovered. You don't want to say everything. You want to leave something for the reader or the viewer to understand. And I, I think that people appreciate that as well because people, people don't just want to be told what to do. And Usually when you tell somebody what to do, they don't want to listen. So mm-hmm. I, th- I always think the most powerful pieces of writing specifically – are more observational pieces rather than ones that tell you what to do do you know what i mean yeah
1: yeah and i you know i like i said i grew up playing music and some of my biggest influences are musicians and just like song lyrics that aren't super beautiful song lyrics that could mean one thing to you and might mean something else to another person or maybe a song that you loved when you were young that meant one thing. And then you hear the lyrics again later and you're like, Oh, that kind of like reminds me of something completely different now, you know? And I think that words have that power to, to transform and, and change over time, even if the words themselves don't change.
0: I think is it in your book where you're talking about rocket man?
1: How, how right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the story of Bernie, Bernie Tompkins, who wrote Rocket Man. Yeah, yeah, that's one of my favorite stories in there.
0: Yeah, I I just read that and it it just sparked something in me because you you just forget you forget that sometimes, especially something that's just so so permanent these days. I guess you know Elton John's Rocket Man. Everybody knows what that is. Everybody's heard it. If you haven't, you know it exists. There's a there's a film about it now. You know, Rocket Man. <laughs> So it, right. it's just something that exists. I love those little observational stories about how something like that came around. Because you tend to forget that it was a creative who wrote those lyrics in the first place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the stories behind that. Yeah, the book um the book is filled with stories, and, and that was another thing, you know, going back to imposter syndrome and you know, thinking like you know, looking back now, I feel almost a little bit silly about the process of the writing the book because there was these lessons that I wanted to talk about, but I didn't really have that confidence to just say, hey, this is how I feel and this is what I think about it. I wanted every chapter and lesson to be kind of rooted in a story throughout history or another creative, um, you know, there's stories about Theodore Roosevelt, um, Steve Martin, um, Steven Spielberg, J.K. Rowling. There's, there's tons of stories in the book, and I kind of felt it necessary to, to, fu- to go out and like dissect these different stories to relate to what I was feeling and then tie them to a lesson. So it wasn't just all me saying, oh, I'm just so burnt out, and I'm just kind of complaining, and this is what I've realized, like a bunch of pers- like random personal development blogs. And it was really it was really great because like reading the stories about Rocket Man and, and and all the different stories that I researched, it kind of helped me while I was writing the book internalize the lessons and be kind of become more human in the process. And it really gave me more confidence in the work itself because I was able to pin it against these timeless stories of in history or these timeless lessons that we can all kind of kind of I think that the lessons in the book we all know to be true deep, deep down inside. Um, But we've somewhere along our journey of through the productivity protocols of entrepreneurship, we forget them or they get like buried under like dust and to-do lists. So my goal with the book is to share these other stories about people and hopefully that they can like interpret them in the best way to help them like dust that off and, and kind of reclaim their own humanity.
0: How are you writing the second book? Are you doing the same kind of story style thing? Or do you have a little bit more confidence in what you've got to say this time?
1: You know, the next nonfiction book I read, I think I'll probably, ha- I will have more confidence. I want it to be a little bit, a little bit different, but I've taken a break and I'm writing fiction right now. Nice. I wanted to just do something totally different. Um, I actually got stuck at one point. I got stuck a few times writing um, productivities for robots and I got some random hair to, to write some fiction. I had some, some story ideas come to me, you know, that's how it always works with creativity, right? Like you're so focused on one thing. And like, right when you get near the end, your brain's like this shiny distraction factor. Like, Oh, what about this? Maybe you should do this instead. Like, (laughs) so I did take a break, um, last year, or this was like the end of 2019, I think. And I wrote a few drafts of short stories and I was like, okay, that was fun. Like they really made me laugh. And I just wanted to kind of get them out of my head and out onto the page. And that allowed me to like, go back to working on the book free of guilt. You know, I'm sure you know how it is when you have all these ideas just creating traffic in your brain. Sometimes you just got to just get them out and get them over with. Um, yeah. So when I published this book and I was uh, I published it in November and I told myself I wasn't going to start another book for, you know, at least like six months um but then january rolled around and i was like i've got to be like in a project um and i've been reading a lot of fiction and it's always something that i've wanted to do i do think it's uh it's 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 like the highest art form in writing is is the short story um maybe because i don't don't always have the the attention span to read like a 600 page novel i've always kind of gravitated towards (laughs) You know, like the punk rock songs, they're like two and a half minutes of fast action before they fall off a cliff. And yeah. um, short stories are like that for me. So I've had a lot of fun. I started in January, and I've got uh, about five written. I'm hopefully going to write two or three more, and then send them to an editor and then publish them. Yeah. So just do something completely different. You know, it's kind of like. The easy thing to do, you know, the book has been selling and I feel like there's all these people that are like reaching out and emailing me and like, they're all excited and they want to get the next book. And in my head, I'm like, well, you're going to be so disappointed when i going to send out this thing that's going to be a total 180 from, from what, uh, from what I did before.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of want to talk just a little bit, although it's boring, I want to talk about the, the actual publishing the side of the book. Cause you said you self-published. Um, Yeah. I'm going through the same kind of thing at the minute with the magic visual. Um, how, how did you approach it? How come you didn't use a publisher? Did you even, did you look for a publisher or were you always just going to do it for yourself?
1: I didn't, I didn't look for a publisher. I think when I started, I kind of lied to myself saying that like eventually I would try and get an agent and sell the book, but you know, I just wasn't ever really sure how to go about it. And by the time it was, it took a lot longer to write than I thought it was going to take. It took like two years to write the book. Mm. And, you know, I heard like, even if you do get like a penguin random house or like some big publisher to publish your book, it's going to take like another year at best for them to actually hit the shelf. And I was like, no, I want to just get this book out. Um, so I still published really because no one was asking me, no one was inviting me to publish with yeah. them. Um, I'm also um, a digital marketer. So I help companies launch products. I specialize in crowdfunding campaigns. So I've helped launch, you know, six figure and seven figure crowdfunding campaigns on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And I help companies build Shopify stores and run ads. So I know how to launch a product and I figured that it would be best for me at this point to just go through the whole process myself. And it was awesome. So you know, my approach was I wrote the manuscript. I hired an editor who helped me with developmental and line editing. And I hired a book cover designer. And it was really just the three of us, um, along with a few beta readers that I had, you know, friends, to get the book to the point where it was like an actual product that you could, you know, hold in your hand. Yeah. And um, and then what I did was I built a, a funnel, an email funnel, where I ran ads um, through Facebook and Instagram and also reach out to my newsletter list where you could, um, put down a dollar reservation, like pretty much like pre-buy the the book and you would get it early. And then, um, you know, I would ask like, that like, you would put a review, you know, or mm-hmm. buy it on day one, like the hardcover. So I ran a, a funnel where I got a couple thousand emails and, you know, a couple hundred people putting down a dollar to, to reserve the book. And there was, there's definitely things I would do differently, but when I launched the book on Amazon, I already had, you know, like my internal team of friends, you know, I had like 50 people that I could really count on. They were going to like buy the book on day one. And then I had like an email list of a few thousand and, you know, like 30% of that converted into, into a sale. So I had like a lot of momentum going into the day one launch on Amazon So I was able to hit all like the bestseller um, badges that I wanted to get on the first day. Um, I ran some, I'm I'm still running Amazon ads. So yeah, I, I was able to do like put a little marketing machine and know how behind the launch of the book. And since then the book has done, I think it's done really well. I mean, I've sold, you know, I'll just say about 1300 copies um, since November. And it's consistent about five or six to seven sales a day, you know, mostly paperbacks. Um,
0: yeah, that was going to be my next question. What's the split
1: between eBooks versus paperbacks? For me, it's about 70, 30. And I think that might be because I keep my paperback price low, right? You know, it's only like $13 here in the States, yeah. but my Kindle is only $6. So, um, I don't know. I, I like that it a lot of paperback sales though. Cause I, I, I read paperbacks myself and I think it's cool when, um, you know, Craig, I, I was so caught up in the, in the numbers when I first launched, like worried, like, Oh, I got to sell like this many books and I got to make sure that I'm going on, uh, all, all these podcasts or I was just like kind of caught up in the royalties and how much, how, how much money is it going to be? How many sales is it going to be? And now it's just so cool because every morning, I get my coffee and I open up the KDP dashboard and I can see the sales that happened yesterday. And it'll, it'll say, you know, seven paperbacks went out yesterday and I can just imagine just there's seven different people out there walking to their mailbox, picking up my book, and then, you know, hopefully reading it. Right. So like, <laughs> that's what's really so been so special. And I always knew it would be, but it's, it's, it's such a surprise to, to me too, like how little I care at the end of the day about like the actual bestseller badges or number of books, like just the fact that out there in the world every day, five or six people are like walking out to their mailbox and getting my book. It, ma- it makes everything worth it. So yeah. I'm going to definitely keep chasing that feeling.
0: Well, I think if you can get to that point where you, you just, the thing that's most important is the human connection. That's all that matters yeah. at, at the end of the day, isn't it? Once you, I think you got to go through the, being slightly obsessed with a numbers bit and then you come back down the other side and you realize well that's that wasn't really all i expected and then now you know that just people are enjoying it and that's where the magic is
1: yeah yeah and that was the intention you know i think it is important it's like people say just just write for yourself and Yeah, you write for yourself, but I always write with the intention that it's going to be entertaining or poignant or valuable to someone who's going to read it. So it's definitely rewarding when people like your work. I think that's a good metric that we should all be interested in is the response. You know, not not always. Sometimes the metrics can be deceiving um, in terms of quality, but I think it's a good thing for us all to be aiming for is to strike a chord.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. Well, I think it all comes down to communication at the end of the day, doesn't it? Um, Again, that human connection. You've got to put some level of, yes, it is for you, but also you want to make a connection with somebody else. So that means that you've got to play some of the game. You've got to actually make it useful for people to read. You've got to actually make it fun or interesting and all that kind of thing. And uh, that's what we all really crave, isn't it? To to make something that's noticed by people because that, that's just nice, isn't it? It's just nice to make something that's noticed.
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> so how's it been for you since you launched your your daily visual, the magic visual, right? So, Am I getting this out right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, the magic visual. So I launched it. I didn't prepare anything like everything that I do. Um, I just furiously wrote the book. I had the the May 1st deadline in my mind, furiously wrote the book. Released it on Gumroad, so at the minute there's only an ebook version. Um, so the the plan is to release it as um as a as a real book book soon. So it's been out, what is it? So 18 days now. Jesus, it feels like forever. <laughs> it's been out 18 days, and I'd probably say at the minute maybe a couple of sales a day trickle through or something like that. That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it, it's it's nice, but I've just got this feeling in the back of my mind that I need to get the the print version done because I think that's what people really want. I always thought it was the other way around, just because it's the way I am. I've only just recently got back into buying real books, and I'm loving it. I previously I've got the Kindle, and I just had it because it's convenient. I've got all my books on the Kindle, so I just yeah. I read it on there, and I use Readwise and things like that as well. So I. I enjoy being able to highlight the things and it's sinking back to read wise and all that stuff. So at the minute I know I'm missing out on, on the actual hard sales, you know, somebody buying the real book, but that's coming next. And it's still only early days. I always want people to like
1: books. People, people want the, want the paperback and it's cool. It <laughs> brings like a, even, whether this is right or wrong, it, it does bring like a certain legitimacy, to it i think for a lot of people just that it's there and maybe it's on amazon or or another site and they can really it's it's cool to make something and hold it in your hands too yeah i think i I
0: completely agree too because i'm a designer and i do print stuff so that there's no feeling like that thing where you've designed a brochure or whatever and you you get it back and you touch it for the first time it is quite nice
1: yeah
0: yeah so yeah yeah, that's the next project anyway
1: well, congratulations on, on launching the book. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And I like the way that you did it and it's given me some ideas for how I want to release the short stories that I'm doing is potentially as they are prepared or edited at least to a certain degree to do, to really try and live up to like the writing in public to release them on gum road, one at a time, maybe mm-hmm. for like 99 cents, a story in just not even to like make money, but just to make sure that the people who are reading them are interested in reading them. Yeah, you know, posting them up for free.
0: Yeah, I kind of saw the Gumroad launch as kind of a almost a public beta type thing, and then the the feedback that I get back from that, there's a couple of extra bits that I want to add to it, and then I'm gonna kind of make sort of version one of the print version. Um, yeah, just just to add a little bit more to it. I think I, I've realized I just want to add some touches. And that's why I went for that first as well. Also, because there was just no way I could have handled (laughs) the print version, uh, a Kindle version, a Gumroad version as well. Because I always wanted to launch it on Gumroad too, because I've got some other stuff on there. So I don't think I could have handled everything. So I did see it as a soft launch. But I actually, from the very beginning, the whole idea of the book was purely to just legitimize my knowledge more than anything else yeah the the fact obviously it's nice that people buy it and and stuff and they enjoy it which is fantastic but the whole idea was to give me a little bit of what you've got now you've got once you've got the book people want you to come on the podcast or Mm -hmm. when you reach out to go on a podcast they've got something to ask you about without that exactly they don't have that thing so it it kind of steers a conversation just like we've steered this conversation so that was one of the major things as well for me is that i'd been been a designer for 15 years nobody knows who the bloody hell i am um i needed a thing you know a thing that i could say well author of the magic visual as as much as i hate saying that kind of thing (laughs) at, at least i've got a a thing to hang my hat on and say, "Yeah, I know about this topic because sure. I've written a book." It's true.
1: It is really true, and um, it's just fun to make things. And you know, Gumroad is so cool, and it's it's been so fun. I've become so interested in this whole creator economy, and yeah, there's there's just so much that I want to do. Like launching books is amazing. I'm going to always do that, and I do have my own. You know, I work for myself um, as a digital marketer, and I've got clients. Um, So it's like, I've got two sides of my life where I get to kind of be, you know, I approach my business the way I would like a record producer would approach an artist where it's like, I'm working with someone else who has a vision or a product and it's my job to help them get the most out of it and present it to the world. Um, So I don't really have to have a creative agenda there. And then it's on the other side, I get to just fully funnel my own creativity and my own visions into the things that I make. Um, But I would take the same approach with like making a course or an information product, um, whether it's like how to launch a book, you know, I get so fired up watching, you know, people like you and other people that are in this creator economy on Twitter, just making these these products or launching these things that help people. And it's great to see people make money and like get fired up by their own creations. Like it's such a new world, you know, it's like, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 33. And same. when I was in, when I was in college, it wasn't, it was not like this, <laughs> you know, no. these were not the options you could choose from. <laughs> so. No, no.
0: I, yeah, exactly the same. 33 years old. Exactly. Uh, yeah. this, I think we're the last generation where we've got the advantage of the old because Mm -hmm. I think I was 10 or 12 when I first got the internet. Um, So we've got the advantage of remembering what it was like and it wasn't until high school that I got a mobile phone and things like that. So I can just remember as a kid, as a young kid playing out and we didn't have phones and things and none of that was, we didn't have Facebook or MySpace or any of that kind of crap. Um, and then the teens was when all that thing really started kicking off and that started coming around and it wasn't really in until late teens that it was really starting to become something else and i think it's probably only even in these last five to seven years or something like that where it's become something else again and then I, i think the whole creator economy thing that's that's only a few years or something that
1: yeah anyone can make a dollar on the internet now and once you do that the, the the wave of inspiration is going to come crash on you because anything is possible you know everyone has an idea inside and there's really no more and part of it is a more pressure because there's no excuses you know like <laughs> you, you, can, you there's there's the there's no gatekeepers it's the permissionless economy or um Yes. you know um and it's beautiful and it's something that i want to be continue to be a part of
0: i think that's a perfect way to end it let me start playing this music
1: all right get Here the music back
0: <laughs> that that was awesome Corey. it's great to chat um yeah have you got any kind of final parting wisdom shots that you want to say or do you want to plug your book or anything even though we talked about it for an hour
1: yeah (laughs) just go make something don't be scared have courage make good stuff and um and share it with the world awesome that's something i have to try and tell myself every day so
0: well I, i urge anybody listening to go check out Corey's book it's fantastic it's a really light surprisingly light actually read it's really funny really clever some of the phrases and stuff in it are fantastic as well. It's not your typical non-fiction book. So, yeah, I'd urge anybody to go check it out. And thanks a lot for chatting, and we'll chat again soon.
1: Great to hear. Thanks so much, Craig.